Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome back to Land of Bourbon and Bad Decisions. This is the return of Relentless Daring Podcast live on podbean.com and the Podbean app. Thank you again for joining me as we engage in the relentless daring pursuit of truth, justice, and American jackassery. Now, I was going to focus primarily on uh, all the politics and all of that going on here in the new year now that we're going deep into the heart of primary season. Uh, all because the Iowa caucuses are coming up right after the Super Bowl next month. But welcome to the listening area, Scuba Steve. Glad you are here. Join us. Hey, 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 what's up? Um, but then Right after Christmas, we had the uh, big attack on our embassy in Baghdad, which it could have gone horribly. Uh, I'm sure many of you remember uh, 9-11-2013 when our consulate in Benghazi was, uh, it was opened up on with Mortars, recoilless rifles, machine gun fire, and uh, we lost an ambassador and three other per American personnel. But fortunately, um, President Trump mobilized uh, 100 Marines, got them there. They were able to disperse the crowd and protect our personnel in the embassy. So we did not have a repeat of Benghazi. We did not have a repeat of the Iranian embassy in 1979. And so, okay, that's all well and good. Then there's the there was the attack that left an American contractor dead on one of our bases in Iraq. And there was evidence that this Iranian general, Soleimani, was in Iraq, he was plotting more attacks on American troops. So we did what we do best to very, very bad people who are battlefield commanders. We killed the ever-loving crap out of them. I don't have uh, cheering on my on my soundboard, so or else there'd be massive cheering going on. <laughs> No, you look like an idiot. Thank you. Thank you, producer. I swear to God, I'm going to fire that guy. But um, but then, ah, oh, Scuba, Scuba Steve's on the chat box. He is cheering for me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, But after we killed Soleimani, the world lost its mind. 
And for the last three weeks, well, okay, three weeks, last week and a half, all it's been is. Are you ready for World War Three? Yes. Are we ready for World War Three? And it's a valid question. Um, You're going to get drafted. Ladies and gentlemen, the ever popular goose has just stepped away from the mic. Thank you. Thank you for coming in and giving me the uh, slight cameo. And then she leaves me hanging. What the heck? Oh, she, she she's trying to get a picture. Oh, no, she's eating an orange. You can't get good help, even if they're volunteers and completely unpaid. So much for her allowance this week. <laughs> oh, pretty princess here to help and standing by for World War Three. Snicker, snicker, ha ha. But um, but no, with with all of the uh, stuff going on with Iran, it it was really important for me to go in and discuss that because there has been so much misinformation and was this an assassination was this a legal military target and i've got just enough jim beam in this coke to be able to keep me lubed up enough to get through discussing this without losing my ever-loving mind so to, to break it down was this an illegal assassination or was this legitimate military targeting? Uh, generally speaking, when people talk about assassinations, they're talking about an intentional political targeting. Whether, yes, it can be a military official. Um, there have been generals who have been assassinated usually with a political reason uh, behind it. Um, in Italy, during the 80s, there's an Italian general who was schwacked, for lack of a better term, because he was standing, at, standing up against organized crime that was corrupting the government. So, okay, there's that. Um, in wars, there can be times when generals are assassinated by civilian force or civilian leaders are intentionally targeted to serve a political means, but not necessarily a military means. And so that's where you get into the uh, assassination versus legitimate military target. Um, with Soleimani, first of all, he was on the ground in Iraq for years acting as a battlefield commander. And because he is acting as a battlefield commander, he is opening himself up as a legitimate military target. He's conducting operations. He's funding the, uh, a lot of the militia, the Shia militia groups that were operating within Iraq, including, um, uh, the Mahdi army back in the early 2000s during my wonderful trip to the great sandbox of Iraq. Um, 
which is headed up by, at the time, he was a Shia warlord by the name of Muqtada al-Sadr. And now Muqtada al-Sadr is a powerful member of the Iraqi government. Weird how that happens. In one minute, you're a thug killing the Americans. The next, you're in Baghdad as a member of parliament wanting the Americans thrown out. But uh, during the ISIS days, he was just as guilty of anything ISIS did. Um, You know, when you shoot a woman in front of her child and then turn around with a drill and run that drill through the child's legs, permanently disabling that kid for the rest of his life, it makes you a bad dude. And if you're going to keep going in and out of a country as a bad dude, doing horrible things, leading attacks against Americans, against uh, the Iraqi forces and other coalition nations who are there in Iraq, you are a legitimate military target. Uh, This was actually confirmed by former Obama Homeland Security Advisor Jay Johnson on... uh, believe it was meet the press he was asked about was this a legitimate target and he said yes because he was he was no less of a military target than barack obama oh my god my brain no barack obama was not a military target please 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 forgive me my brain is not working because it's been a long day i've been up since 3 30 in the morning i had to work six hours a day on top of doing this on top of Osama bin Laden. Osama bin Laden was a legitimate military target. He had been hiding for years in Pakistan. Yeah, we have a presidential candidate right now who actually advised against going into Pakistan to get the guy who killed 3,000 American civilians. Think about that. Joe Biden recommended that we not go after Osama bin Laden. Even though we had his number, we could go in, punch his ticket, get out, and, well, maybe lose a stealth helicopter in the process, but that's that's neither here nor there. Our government has had made a long track record of screwing the pooch on these high-value targets. Um, Clinton, during his administration, had the opportunity. Bin Laden was being given to him on a silver platter when he was in the Sudan. The Sudanese government didn't want him. And what does he do? Well, we we just didn't have the actionable intelligence to go get him. Wait, what? Of course, he may have been in the process of um, sharing cigars with his intern at the time. We really don't know. I mean, that's part of the reason why uh, uh, his name eludes me. Sandy Berger. That's part of the reason why Sandy Berger was caught sneaking documents out of the National Archives and destroying them because he was trying to get rid of any kind of record of 
them knowing that they could have gotten Bin Laden. But going back to the whole Iran thing, it's like, yeah, we we bombed the ever-loving crap out of Soleimani. He died the way he should have died. In a very fiery, violent death. And the world rejoiced. No, not, not really. Um, one of the uh, immediate things that popped up was lots of protests in Iran and Shia-controlled areas of Iraq. Usually at the point of a gun with Shia militias saying, either you protest or you getting shot. Um, in Nasiriya, in southern Iraq, there was actually video that came out, excuse me, of civilians running from militia soldiers who were trying to kill them because they wouldn't protest. But these are all grassroots efforts. These are all people who are just so upset that, oh my God, this great general, this war hero, he's been killed. He was assassinated. He was doing nothing wrong. And we just indiscriminately killed him. But no, people forget that Iran has a really bad problem of, you know, killing people who don't do what they're told. Uh, Mahmoud Ahmadinejad, he was not the current president. He was the last president. He famously said in front of the UN that they don't have a, have homosexuals in Iran. It's because they kill them. They find out someone is gay or lesbian and they throw them off of roofs. They shoot them in the streets. They make an example out of them. And so if they, so if they're having an issue with, so if they don't have an issue with gay people because they don't have gay people, it's because no one is willing to come out and say, you know, I'm into dudes or I'm into chicks when they are dudes and chicks. So they don't, so as much as the left wants to, oh, they're just, they're just so tolerant. Look at them, those, those Iranians. But uh, today, Donald Trump actually put out a tweet in Farsi, which, thank you, Ivanka and Trump, for retweeting it and translating it. This is what Donald Trump said to the people who are legitimately protesting against the Iranian government. You know, the Iranian government who admitted, I'm going to get into this later, they admitted that, eh, yeah, we kind of we kind of shot that Ukrainian airliner down. Our bad. They said, I'm going to get into this. But people were protesting in Iran again because, not because of these 176 people who lost their lives as a result of Donald Trump and this is a great attack on Iran. They're protesting the Iranian government for killing them 
are allowing it to happen. They're protesting the Iranian government because the Iranian Republic, the IRCG, IRGC, the Iranian something Guard Corps, you know, the part, the other part of the military in Iran that has been designated as a terrorist organization. They're going and killing people who aren't flooding the streets of Tehran to protest against the Americans. So now people are rising up again against the Iranian government and the Ayatollahs and all those government officials who are handpicked by the mullahs and the Ayatollah. So because of all these, all these people who are beginning to protest against the Iranian government, Donald Trump tweeted this. Quote, to the brave, long-suffering people of Iran, I've stood with you since the beginning of my presidency, and my administration will continue to stand with you. We are following your protests closely and are inspired by your courage. End quote. That is more that any American president has said to the people of Iran since ever. Uh, when, when was it the, the green protests were starting several Islamic revolutionary guard corps. Thank you, scuba Steve for straightening me out on that. This is why I like having this chat box because I don't have enough screens. So I can't run this and Twitter and be able to, you know, have you live tweet at me. And I would hate to be trying to talk and live tweet back at you. It would get a little hairy, I'm sure. Um, but this is something I like because if I screw something up, you guys, the you wonderful miscreants, vandals, and ne'er-do-wells will keep me in line. So no president, no president has ever stood on behalf of the Iranian people. Like I said during the uh, the the green protests, the green revolutions, uh, whatever they were called, that were during the Obama administration had been working really could have overturned the government of Iran from within with very little outside influence. Obama completely ignored them. And, you know, because he was trying to push the, uh, he's trying to push through the, the nuclear deal. You know, that, that one we pulled out of. And so that's, that's the reason, according to some at CNN and MSNBC and some of these other crazy places. That, you know, Soleimani had really started stepping up his aggression. Is that, you know, we pulled out of the deal. And they weren't actually working that hard to hold up their end of the bargain. They got their $150 billion in cash on a, you know, pallet on a airstrip. And they were happy. 
they were upset that they weren't going to get more cash. But, you know, screw them. So, but yeah, um, so then in all these shenanigans, so Iran, they retaliated against the wonderful, wonderful bombing of Soleimani by conducting their missile strike against uh, a U.S. air base. Uh, I think it was, they said Al-Assad, which that's where we have a lot of drones. And talking to people who are, I have friends who are still in, they kind of understand the situation better than, understand the situation, had better intel than what has been really made available. And talking to them, they were targeting the, uh, you know, the hangars where they store the drones. And I have seen the, I've seen the satellite imagery of, you know, where these craters of land craters from where these missile strikes, the ones I actually hit were. Um, it, it's best summed up as saying that, they killed two chickens and scared the camp goat because I think they hit maybe one of the big tent like hangers. It's not even a hard structure. It's a tent. I think they hit one, maybe two of them and then put some holes in the concrete. But then again, they supposedly, again, something I've heard but have not been able to confirm, supposedly gave a heads up, like, we are going to shoot back. We are going to target this base. And so military commanders did the best thing, and they dispersed as many people as possible to prevent a loss of life. And then Patriot missiles were used, took out at least one, uh, at least one of the incoming missiles. I know I heard the phalanx going off on one of the videos of the airstrike. You hear, you hear the chain guns that shoot the flak, the flak rounds up in the air. And then if you don't know how these work, they're like shooting little bombs in the air that don't actually hit the target. It just goes up and they explode and it throws shrapnel everywhere. And if the missile flies through the shrapnel as it's being dispersed, the shrapnel takes out the missile. It's a really neat system. Um, I remember being at Bagram, and they would do tests of the phalanx system, and you hear it go off in the background. You, you hear it shoot, and you just kind of look up, and you see the little puffs of smoke where they're blowing up in the sky. It's kind of neat to watch. But I digress. So, yeah, they... they shoot these missiles but meanwhile uh, at the Tehran International Airport they're not shutting down air traffic let that sink in for just a second they are engaging in a military action against the United States there could possibly be a retaliation happening live 
but they're still allowing the airport in Tehran to operate and allow civilian flights out. And in the process of all this stuff that's going on, they somehow managed to shoot down a Boeing 737-800. Now, at first it was a crash, and they said it was a problem with the plane instruments. It was coming back to, you know, do an emergency landing, which, okay, that could be plausible. I mean, was it? They had an Ethiopian Airlines 737-800 MAX that crashed just a few months ago because of that issue. Um, There's another country that its main airline had one of these crash because of uh, tech of a technology issue. Okay. You know, it, it, plausible, but is the timing was really, really weird. Uh, this is reading from USA today. Hours after Iranian officials accepted blame for shooting down a Ukrainian passenger jet, Kansas Prime Minister called for justice for the families of the 176 people killed. This just goes right into a, a Prime Minister Blackface yelling at Iran. Quote, shooting down a civilian aircraft is horrific. Iran must take full responsibility. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau said at a press conference, he called the crash, which killed 63 Canadians, a senseless loss of life. All right, and I thought this would have more on the strike, but ah, here's another from USA Day. Calm after Iran missile strikes and fiery plane crash. Here's how the horror unfolded. In the pre-dawn hours Wednesday, In Iran's capital, Tehran, people were bracing for the possibility of an American retaliation after their government launched more than a dozen missiles at U.S. military bases in Iraq. Their worst fears appeared to come true when a fiery object plunged from the sky and crashed with an enormous explosion. Some witnesses later told media outlets they thought Iran was under attack from the United States, which days earlier had killed the country's top general. Can you please put the filleting of the Iranian dead general to rest. Please, for the love of God. The media and congressmen and women and senators and celebrities, they they all sound like... um, Stars of adult film who just are gagging as they attempt to bring pleasure to the Iranian government. If I can try to avoid getting any more lewd than that, because believe it or not, this is a PG-13 show. I'm going to leave it there and let your imaginations run wild. 
And some of you who listen, I already know that your imaginations have run wild. And I feel really, really bad for the images going through your head right now. <laughs> Scuba Steve says, I was going to say sick fans. That word is too damn big for me. I'm just an infantryman. I don't know words like sycophant. Uh, hooligans, I swear. <laughs> he says, sorry. But anyways, instead it was a passenger plane carrying Iranian citizens and dozens of others from around the world. And as the world would come to learn in the days that followed, Iran itself unintentionally caused the crash that killed 176 people, including 82 of its own. Missiles launched Wednesday 2 a.m. In the middle of the night, Iran launched 16 missiles at two U.S. military bases in Iraq in retaliation for the U.S. drone strike in Baghdad that killed Iran's top general, Qasem Soleimani. Who cares? Dude was a douche, and he deserved everything he got. Among the targets, the Al-Assad Air Base in western Iraq, used by American forces after 2003-led invasion that toppled dictator Saddam Hussein. That was about 1,500 U.S. troops coalition. Arable base, which the Pentagon said was the site of another attack, which is uh, in the Kurdish area up north. Do-do-do-do-do. As a precaution, FAA missed... The FAA late Tuesday ordered U.S.-based commercial airlines to avoid flying the airspace over Iran and Iraq. And Iran it was already Wednesday. Iran several hours ahead of the United States. I really love how they have to explain obvious things. I don't know what it says about them or what it says, you know, about its average listeners that or its average readers that have to. Have it spelled out to him. Well, you see, Jimmy, Iran is an eight-hour plane ride away. So it's going to be earlier. It's going to be later in the day there than it is here. Uh, Wednesday, 6, 10 a.m. in Iran, Ukraine International Airlines Flight 752 departs Tehran International Airport at about an hour before sunrise, bound for Kiev. That's an interesting spelling of Kiev. They spelled K-Y-I-V, but I digress. 167 passengers, 9 crew members, and the largest share of them Iranians. Among those aboard, 63 Canadians returning after the winter break. And, and these are uh, Iranian Canadians, Canadians of Iranian descent who are visiting family and, you know, who are still in Iran. So they were, you know, heading back to Canada or they're exchange students who they went back to while well, school was out of session, they went back to be with family, you know, stuff like that. The plane was fully fueled for the four-hour, 15-minute flight to Kiev, where the Canadian passengers would connect to a flight to Toronto. Uh, the captain had 11,600 hours flying time. Do, do, do. Lots of talk, not a whole lot of actual what happened. Oh, 
First, minutes into the flight, the plane abruptly vanished from radar at nearly 8,000 feet altitude near the plane. North Korea sent a distress call. About an hour after Flight 752 disappeared, Iran's Islamic Republic news agency reported that a plane had crashed south of Tehran. Video later emerged showing the plane on fire, dropping rapidly toward the ground and crashing with an enormous explosion. But basically, they got their panties in a twist that um, that they thought that we were going to be attacking them. And so a skittish, yes, skittish, that's the word I want to use, uh, you know, SAM operator, surface-to-air missile operator, saw the plane and presumed that it was a U.S. missile coming in and launched an anti, you know, an anti-missile, you know, air defense missile at this airplane and blew it out of the sky. And for several days... Iran didn't say or do squat about it. They said, oh, it was a crash. It was a crash. It was a crash. The problem is we have really good satellites that they can see stuff like this that happens in real time. And it's not just us. Our military our intelligence agencies and military and intelligence agencies from, from, you know, our allies saw it. We had radar that was able to pick up the launch of the missile. So we're able to say, no, we're pretty stinking sure that you shot it down. So one way or another, you took it out and Sure enough, uh, earlier today, uh, this morning actually, Iran finally came out and the IRGC admitted, yeah, that was totally our bad. Um, it was an accident. You see, we had this new guy. He, he was nervous. And, well, you know, one thing leads to another and you know, 170-some people were dead. But this is a case, and as I said, the you know all the people on in the media, Congresswoman Jackie Spire from California is particularly egregious. But they they they're all coming out saying this plane being shot down is a direct result of the actions that Donald Trump started. Whoa. How is Donald Trump starting something that the Ayatollah Khomeini started in 1979? Actions that not even before then, when in 75, 76, the Shah exiled him and he went to live in Paris and he was doing uh, pirate radio broadcasts into 
you know, he would record the uh, these messages. If anyone was wondering what that noise was, that was a diet cola beverage who is not paying me to advertise. So I'm not going to say their name. But um, seventy five, seventy six, the Ayatollah is recording sermons in Paris and getting them sent back to Iran to be broadcast to work the people into a frenzy. Until finally, in nineteen seventy nine, <laughs> Trump was manning the missile battery. Who knew? Yeah, I know. I didn't think Donald Trump could tie his own shoes, much less much less run a missile battery. Any of you who was a conservative and listens to this and heard that last comment? Bottom line up front, I am not a Trumpkin, but I do support my president, even though he's just a very, very well rebranded Democrat. Let's 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 not pull any punches. Donald Trump is a Democrat. Period. End of story. Just you know, the epitome of Rhino in Rhino Republican in name only. God, damn you, Steve! You made me lose. It made me lose track of my train of thought. And it derailed and. The carnage is just absolutely awful. But, ah, yes. And in 79, Khomeini returned. <laughs> Dude, don't need to apologize. I could be looking at a blank screen. My train of thought's going to derail. Welcome to the world of any kind of broadcast that is done that is stream of consciousness where sometimes... The stream runs into a dam and the consciousness stops flowing. But um, in 79, when Khomeini came back in violation of his exile and he got the people all rallied up and riled up to go, you know, was able to force the Shah to go into self-imposed exile, you know, so they didn't kill him. And let, had them take over the American embassy. And yeah, they took 52 American hostages and held them for over a year. Which side note, a really good book is, uh, Guess of the Ayatollah. It's uh, by. It's from the same author who wrote Black Hawk Down. It's a very good in-depth look at you know what the hostages went through. I said, just, just check it out. It's a really good read. You know, seventy-nine, forty-one years ago, almost is is when really all of this started. You know, the only real response from the, uh, from the Carter administration was, 
hey, we had this new this new counter-terror group called Delta Force. Here's a plan. We're going to fly Chinooks into the middle of the desert. Then we're going to take buses into the city. And we're going to break the people out of the embassy, get them on the buses, take them back out to the desert, put them on the Chinooks, and then fly them to safety. Well, yeah, you said the Chinooks, they, at the time, they really weren't made for flying in the dust. And so one of them it burned an engine out, crashed. It was, oh, it was a big, nasty mess. It was a mission that failed before it even started. But you fast forward, you know, into the 2000s after we, yeah, not so much in Afghanistan. There's not a whole lot of Iranian influence there. It's mostly because of how tribal the Afghans are. I mean, we had an interpreter. He could spot a Pakistani from a mile away. Like he'd look out into a crowd and he he'd you know tap my LT and be like, "Hey, that guy over there, yeah, what about him? He's Pakistani. Let's talk to him." All right, Mike, let's let's, let's go talk to the uh, guy you say is a Pakistani. I said, at first it was night, and then eventually, yeah, it come out. So yeah, I'm from Pakistan. I'm I'm here. I'm staying with family because I'm going to have the surgery done. It crazy but then again in that region there's a lot of pastu on both sides of the border and then even you get to the west you know yeah western afghanistan you know herat kandahar places like that there's still just not even though you're over there by iran there's still not a whole lot of iranian influence that's neither here nor there But in Iraq, you know, there was a seven-year war fought between Iraq and Iran, which, because of the whole, you know, taking over the embassy thing, we took Saddam's side. We're really good at picking winners, aren't we? Hey, uh, we're going to pick this Saddam guy. He's going to fight the Iranians. Ah, didn't he just gas a bunch of Kurds in the northern part of Scotland? Ah, he's fighting the Iranians. They took over our embassy. We're siding with him. Kind of count Afghanistan in the 80s. Hey, this Osama bin Laden guy. He seems like a really smart chap. Uh, no, he's not an Afghan. He's a, uh, he's a Saud. Yeah, we still like him because he's fighting the Russians. Let's give him some Stinga missiles and call it a day. Whatever. We always pick the great ones. Kind of with, with Chile and uh, backing Pinochet, whose key campaign promise was universal helicopter rides for communists. He never promised universal landings on the uh, helicopters. Just saying. But um, so all this is all this has been going on. 
we picked the wrong size of all these things. And, you know, then we really get involved in Iraq. And Soleimani, he's the guy who taught the Iraqis how to build the explosively formed penetrators. Ha! Didn't need you to correct me on that one, submarine boy. But, um, which if you don't know what an explosively formed penetrator is, wow, that's a, yeah, that's a mouthful. Basically, on a lot of anti-tank rounds, you have a, a you have a copper cone inside that's inverted, and when it hits the target, there's an explosion. It melts the copper, melts that copper warhead, and the explosion pushes it forward, inverts the cone. <coughs> Pardon me, and then that cone goes through, you know, will burn. It literally just burns its way through the armor. Well, they figured out how to do this using copper plates and roadside bombs. They are they are attributed with the deaths of over six hundred people. U.S. forces. Tank crews, Bradley crews, Stryker crews, MRAP crews. Because you have a 50-pound bomb or 100-pound bomb with a thick-ass copper plate on it. It goes off, it burns through the hole, and it just burns everything inside. Equipment and personnel. And then they, they fund other groups that are wreaking havoc in the area, but it's our it's Donald Trump's fault, you know. Oh, it's this it's this tit for tat, blah 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 blah. It was not even remotely tit for tat. But all this goes on, and I'm gonna say. How Donald Trump handled the uh, what happened with the Iranian retaliation with the attacks on the air bases with the ballistic missiles. By far his most presidential moment, aside from the tweet I read earlier in the show directed to the Iranian people. So. This is one of those times where I legitimately, I pray for peace. I'm a combat veteran. I have seen the hells of war. It is not something that I want us to rush into all willy-nilly. And get us bogged down in yet another quagmire in the Middle East. Frankly, I'm, I'm waiting for the day they air on the news that we're bringing our troops home from Afghanistan. We're bringing our troops home from Iraq and Syria because frankly, if we'd gone in wrecked shot, killed who we need to kill and got the hell out, we'd been better off. But instead the, uh, <clears throat> the progressive neocons, they didn't just want to go in, wreck shop, kill who we need to kill and get the hell out. They wanted a nation build. 
I'm getting an amen from Steve, and I will preach it. That's what we need to do. I am, I am not a war hawk by any stretch of the imagination. But when the time comes that we do have to take up arms against our enemy, let us do that. Go in, kill the bad guys, come home. Be back in just a minute. Do you love what you hear on the Relentless Daring Podcast? Do you want to show the world your support for this podcast? This is Tyler from Relentless Daring, asking you to go to shop.spreadshirt.com slash relentlessdaring and check out our merchandise there. We have t-shirts, hoodies, hats, coffee cups, travel mugs. Go there, check it out, use it to show the world your love for this podcast. And as always, stay relentless. All right, coming back uh, before I go, I did say there was going to be some uh, looking at election polls. Everyone's been talking about these national polls that, you know, Joe Biden leading and, you know, amazingly enough, Mike Bloomberg and that guy who's been trying to impeach Donald Trump since before he even got elected, the billionaire made all his money on oil. Pardon me. About how they're skyrocketing. They're starting to come up in the polls. Well, we need to slow our rolls just a little bit because national polls aren't going to have an effect. Now, uh, Tom Steyer, I will give him that he's doing a lot of his campaigning in states that are going to be involved on Super Tuesday in March. And not so much these uh, first several polls in, was it, uh, Iowa, New Hampshire, Nevada, and South Carolina. But if you start break, looking down at the uh, the local polls, the state polls for those, for those, um, it gets really interesting. Um, Right now, the Iowa caucuses are coming up uh, the week after the Super Bowl. And this is a uh, Des Moines Register CNN poll for for Iowa. It's got Bernie Sanders leading with a twenty percent, Booty Judge at sixteen, Biden at fifteen, Warren seventeen. And then you start getting into your. Uh, your next tier drops down to Klobuchar at six, Yang five. Cory Booker still has uh, he still has a three percent support. I'm shocked. Tom Steyer at two, Tulsi Gabbard two, Mike Lundberg at one. And this that's the most. This is a poll that it was a poll that was uh, released just last night, early this morning. Then you get uh, you start getting Nevada, South South Carolina, 
these these are polls that came out yesterday with you know Biden Sanders Warren Buttigieg in Nevada for the uh, Nevada Nevada Nevada. Well, I, I know it's not Nevada. Nevada is a town in Missouri. Why it's different than everyone else? Um, weird. Hey. Part of our crazy geography, we have everywhere in the state of Missouri, Cuba, Paris, Louisiana, they're, they're all here. <clears throat> but yeah, um, Biden is at 23% for Nevada, Sanders 17, Warren 12, and then Buttigieg drops drops down to six. You know. Steyer's and no, Steyer has 12%. I've thought this at least had this in uh you know in order so steyer may actually have a a possibility of you know taking nevada you never know then yang four kobachar two booker two booker three bloomberg two gabber two (laughs) they still have marianne williamson i I guess they did this poll before she uh, announced that she was quitting south carolina Biden has a 21-point lead over Bernie Sanders in South Carolina. Now, there's a lot can go into that. Um, in South Carolina, Buttigieg is only pulling at four percent. Uh, some of the uh, some of the talking heads have, have gone been looking at it. You know, a very strong African-American community in South Carolina. So they look at at Buttigieg and being gay as being a really uh, a handicap when it comes to black voters. Again, this is not me saying this. This is me going off of the inferences of other talking heads and pundits who have been, you know, breaking this down. And then even looking at New Hampshire, this is the sec in New Hampshire, this is a poll that just came out on Thursday. It's a Monmouth poll. Has Buttigieg leading at 20%, then Biden at 19, Sanders 18, Warren at 15, then Drops down to Klobuchar at six. And again, it's Tom Steyer's coming at four. Uh, Mike Bloomberg isn't even on this one. You know, and then there's a national poll that has, you know, it came out on Wednesday. It's a Economist YouGov poll. And this is a general net, net, yeah, yeah, nationwide poll. Biden 27, Sanders 21, 22, and then it just drop, drops huge on the national scene from Biden, Sanders, Warren to, you know, Buttigieg being at seven. So, I mean, uh, you see a lot of, see a lot of these polls on national TV and on the news that, you know, but national polls don't mean anything. It's the local polls. I think we paid more attention to local polling during the 2016 election. I was kind of out of the loop. I was this wonderful place overseas called Afghaniland. 
So I missed out on a lot of that. I just watched it on AFN and it's like, huh, isn't that interesting? So, but a lot of people were shocked that Donald Trump just kind of, oh my God, he was pulling so much lower than everyone else. How did he win? Well, it's because you weren't looking at state polls. You know, they say he came out of nowhere to win, you know, win the uh, electoral college. Eh, not really. The margin of error from polling, if you actually went and looked at all the, took the averages, mm, pardon me, look the average poll numbers for Hillary Clinton versus Donald Trump, they were off by less than 1%. So the so you know you have the national polls showing that Hillary Clinton was going to win. Well, she won the popular vote, but she didn't hit the right states. And that's how our system is set up. You got to hit the states. So and then when you start looking at these polls, you really got to look at the states. Right now, you know. The three states that Donald Trump stole from Hillary and flipped, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan. Right now, Donald Trump is leading in those states. Right now, if the economy goes to crap in a handbasket, he may lose those states. And if he loses those states, then, yeah, he stands in almost guarantee that he's going to lose the election. But... That's one of the things we're going to have to, you know, see what happens when it gets here. But that has been the show for tonight. Thank you all for those of you who tuned in. Glad you were here to listen. Uh, If you're listening on the podcast, four things, four, four little things. If you're listening on the podcast, if you are listening on Apple iTunes, first, mash that subscribe button. Then every week after I get done doing the live show and then I get it published for the podcast, you will get the alert. It may be in the middle of the night and you sleep through it. It may be sometime Sunday morning, depending on how stupid my internet's being. But you'll but you subscribe, those num it helps the it helps the uh, the algorithm to get people to find the show. Step number two, you got to rate it. Those five-star ratings, again, it helps the uh, helps the al- algorithm find more people like you to listen to the show. Then step three, review it. If you like it, you kind of embellish. If yeah, not so much, you take it easy on me. There might be someone who listens to it. It might not be your cup of tea, but hey, maybe someone else will like it. It pops up because, hey, this is a rated, we like, you like these shows, this kind of falls in line, read the review, hey, we like it. Hey, I like it, maybe you will too. Yeah, that helps. And also share it. Sharing also helps the algorithm to help people like you find me or help me find more people like you, however you want to look at it. Again, thank you all so much for listening. <clears throat> you can always follow me on social media. Uh, 
at Real Tyler Morgan or at Daring Podcast on Twitter. Um, also go to RelentlessDaring.com. That's the website. Uh, there you can go to you can uh, be able to link over to the merch shop and buy t-shirts, hats. Uh, I almost said ball gloves. I, I don't know. No, the merch shop doesn't do ball gloves. I know someone's wanting stickers to get done. Um, unfortunately, they don't do stickers yet. But I digress. Um, you also stream the podcast there. So, you know, relentlessdaring.com. Again, check it out. I think that's going to do it for the show this week. Again, thank you all for showing up. 2020, it's a new year. Hope I'm working on some things. Oh, another big thing. This show is funded by people like you. It is completely out of my pocket. So I ask, humbly ask, you go to patreon.com slash relentlessdaring1. Become a patron today. I'm trying to work on some things to, you know, get some exclusive content going for Patreon uh, patrons. So sign up to become a patron over there. Again, everything goes into keeping the show going. So please go check that out. And as always, stay relentless. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.